Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Susan Balk. Susan is the founding director of Hate Breakers, an organization that celebrates those who end the hate breeds hate cycle and hits the brakes on hate. She was also recently named as a woman of achievement, and there is a lot that this woman has done and is doing. I am very honored to have you as a guest, Susan. Thank you. Let's let's start. Woman of achievement. Tell me about the what all happened, how this came about. I don't know. I, I've only I've lived in St. Louis for less than 20 years. And okay. I, you know, no going to high school here, none of that stuff. So I was just amazed to be included in something that I thought was as rarefied as, I don't know, the the veiled prophet thing, you know, that you had to have grown up here and done some distinguished background thing. But I really feel that they they understood and appreciated the work that I've done, especially the work with hate breakers. Which is amazing. I love this whole thought of hate breakers. Let's talk about that. I just always wondered, I never really understood what made people be mean to each other. It always kind of interested me. And my mommy used to say, oh, Susie, don't be so sensitive. You know, it's just, you'll be fine. Um, or they'll be fine. But I, I'll just give a little background before I started Hate Breakers. Um, I was a journalist. and. It was at the time when, you know, being in New York with the media was just, you just felt like the center of the universe. And, um, well, can we just say that you were a journalist with a lot of rather amazing places, right? I mean, you would name some of them, they're all recognizable. What, the, the places I work? Yes, and who you wrote for, edited for? The New York Times Magazine, um, Vogue, Playboy. Um, Ms. Um, whoever, Rolling Stone, whoever would return my phone calls back in the day when we made phone calls. the universe, right? Yeah. And I got to teach journalism at Columbia in New York. And and I just loved it. The whole idea. Well, it's like what you do now in the 21st century. You get to ask people questions and you get to tell the world about them and, and you get to do it from your point of view. So maybe if I'd been lucky, um, and if I was a person, you know, maybe a generation younger, I'd be, I'd hope to be doing something like what you're doing. Right. Ooh, it's fun. Yeah. But that was back in the day, what we called the new journalism. So the first book I did, because I, I used to think, how come if I see a famous person in person, it, it, seems deeply, deeply significant. What is this fame thing? What is it? Is it because we don't have royalty? Is it because we need to believe in somebody who more people know than know us? What is that about? So that was my first book. And, you know, that was a chance to call up just anybody and say, um, you know, tell me about yourself. And what does it feel like to be famous? Um, that is awesome. And so, and that, that book was called Fame. 
It was called famine, and it was a way of looking both at the famous person and the person in the audience. And I and I so I looked in New York where fame was getting there first, the first person to ever do this, the first person to walk on a high wire between the two towers. That shows you how long ago that was of the right. World Trade Center. Um, fame in Washington was power or access to power or the appearance of access to power. So that was a lot of fun. That made for great stories. And then in Los Angeles, where fame just had a lot to do with image and the dances right. that go with image. So it, it, it was wonderful. It, it was um, a chance for this little, you know, Midwestern shy person to to investigate this and people actually talked to me and met with me and it got a lot of play i got five pages in people magazine and you know the talk shows and stuff so my little midwestern dream came true and and then um i don't know i kept writing and doing other things but can i ask you something because this is really intriguing to me first of all who did you get to talk to could it, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, they're so last century. Let's see. Um, I probably know him. <laughs> um, Paul Newman. Oh. Um, Truman Capote. Uh, Bette Midler. I'm so dating myself. I can't believe it. But this, no, this is good. And hey, Bette Midler's got a, something new out on HBO. So, hello. It's, I just watched it. Coastal elites. It's fabulous, but yeah. So when you when you did this book, though, let me ask you: Did you? Because um, I I find this subject crazy interesting. Why do I see a famous person? I'm like, oh, it's so and so, and you get all start, you know. And I always wonder if a part of it is that they had you have to. I, I feel like you have to have a lot of guts to put yourself out there like that. Well, I think it's a double. I think it's a okay. double. I think that both the audience and the, the person on the stage will say, we buy into this myth, and I think it was given to us you know, by the movies, that somehow if we're famous, we're immortal. That somehow if we're known by enough people, we're not going to die. Gotcha. And you know, I think that's part of the appeal of that um, Turner Classic Movies thing. You know, we get to see, I, I can't say I watch everyone, but it's it's fascinating to see, I don't know, Charlie Chaplin on a great big screen. I never saw, you know, I always saw him little or, right, or right. you know, anybody young. And it's like they, it's like, it, it is like they're immortal because those images, you know, thanks to Ted Turner, I guess, are, are permanent. You know, they're not right. going to go away. So I think that's part of what, oh, I want to be on the big screen, so I'll last forever. And it was, um, it was dazzling. But there were some times that being the famous person could be, could be distorting or startling. And one well-known comic told me that he was walking with his son on the beach in, in Malibu. And somebody came up to him and said, oh, I know who you are. I love you. 
And his little boy said, Daddy, how could he love you? He doesn't even know you. And I don't know how he explained it to his son, but the man believed that he that he knew right. him. And right. so and then another time he told me he was sitting with his family at a restaurant and somebody came up to him and said, you know, that new series you're doing, it's just not working. Here's what you should do. This total stranger. And so so what I realized is that there's I mean, I think the guy thought he was helping maybe, but there is this combination of love and contempt, of adoration and contempt. And so, um, and I think to this day, we feel that about really famous people. Well, we we do. I, I noticed one of the things we do is we build them up, but then we, we also want to, we want to watch them crumble because I feel like that's something that happens. and. And I got to think, I mean, today it's so interesting how you can be on social media connected with, you can follow them and, you know, that's become a whole thing, right? I mean, where there are celebrities that just, they do their Instagram, this and that's all day long. That's what they, you know, they put amazing amounts of time into one picture and what they're going to say. And I just... And even politicians, we won't name anyone, you know, who... Who demonstrates power by saying whatever he wants to say at that moment? Yes, on Twitter, Everyone and that becomes the news, doesn't it? Right, doesn't it? Yeah. And so it's I very think very interesting. I mean, I I think that um, it, it's not a happy episode in in sort of that dance of of publicity and exploiting um, and gobbling up. You know, the, the, those of us in the audience just seem to gobble that stuff up. So, as much as I love and 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 enjoy social media, um, I'm concerned, as I'm sure you are. Like, how do we deal with with um, inaccuracies? You know, yes. we want to read what yes. we want to read. We want to see what we want to see. Truth has become a um, topic of many conversations for me lately. Because I, it freaks me out that I, I'm pretty sure I don't know the truth about anything <clears throat> anymore because of what has been, what's out there. You don't know. And, and then, you know, when you learn like what you're being fed is exactly what you want to hear. So then it's easy for everybody to say, well, I'm right. Because I read it, and and so and and I read it, so it's true. Yeah, and I read it, and the, and I saw this whole article about it or a show about it, and I'm thinking, I don't really know what the truth is at all anymore. Right. Well, I remember the first time I heard Kellyanne Conway say, "Well, that was an alternate fact." Oh, right, right, right. Yes, an alternate fact. That's an interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> that was an alternate fact. What? What does that even mean? You know, and languaging is, I mean, as you know, as a journalist and writer, language has got a lot of power. So you wrote this amazing book, Fame, and then how did that, and then all these other things you've done, and how did that get you to hate breakers? Because I'm with you. I, I have a hard time understanding why people hate well, great, and we've got a lot in common. So, yeah. as um, so, right after I published the book Fame, 
um, I married this fabulous, um, fabulous, talk about words. I had a wonderful relationship in marriage to a man who was a Jewish um, Viennese refugee. And we okay. all, and he worshipped America. I mean, if I would say something like, oh, that would only happen in America, he would say, do you have any idea what you're saying? Um, you know, I would try to be, I don't know, it was obnoxious. So he decided that he wanted um, to go back to Vienna and photograph and interview people just sort of on the street and find out how that whole Hitler thing had looked to him now. So he right. did that. And the book was published. And it um, it actually wasn't published until he died. And I moved to St. Louis. I was in San Francisco. So it was it was a book called Vienna's Conscience. Um, and somebody took a look at it and said, oh, that would be a great exhibit at the Holocaust Museum here. Well, it was an exhibit and it went all around the world. It went to Shanghai and it went to San Francisco and it went, well, first when it was in Vienna, it was in Freud's, you know, in Freud's office. I mean, you know, thrilling. And, and then it became, um, a permanent exhibit at the United Nations in Vienna. Now, Ricky didn't get to see any of that, but right. So, oh my so, gosh. but but a thing that he and I always talked about was how can hate take over a whole continent? Right. But also, how can people like this Catholic family who hid our aunt and uncle during the Nazi time? They lived across the street from a police station. They had two little kids that went back and forth to school every day, never said anything. How, you know, how does that come out? How do people resist it and, you know, right. hit the brakes? Rise above it. And Rise say, above I'm it. I'm not going to hate, and I know this is wrong. Right, right. Yeah. So at the exhibit in, in um, here in town, I heard a couple... You know, you always listen to what people are saying about what you did. Um, and I heard this couple say, oh, those damn Viennese. And I thought, well, my job's not done because, of course, it's not just the Viennese. It's all of us who, when there's something unpleasant in our background, don't want to talk about it. So I thought, okay, how do we make this more universal? And so the journalist in me thought, let's find a lot of people who have experienced hate either as victims or perpetrators or witnesses. And instead of being defined by that trauma in a negative way, decided to, to try to fix things so it was not likely to happen to anybody ever again. And so with the encouragement and, and support of my now husband, the reason I moved to St. Louis, Ken Balsh, we put together this organization called Hate Breakers. And 
we the journalist in me would find these people who were who had no idea that what they did was even interesting to anybody else and we had this gala you know thing every year and we would give them hatebreaker hero awards and it was it it was just a wonderful experience i mean some of them were well known some of them didn't even want to let me interview them because the experience they had been through wasn't something they could talk about without shaking right um and so that's what hate breakers is and and it was hard because at the beginning people said well why do you have the word hate in the name that i mean what good does that do you know it's such an awful word now of course nobody asks that question right so anyway you can go to our youtube and see some um you can see the edited down interviews because of course as you know as a journalist um you what we're doing is you know our fave thing to do right so you know the interviews themselves were much longer but we edited them down to i don't know three three to four minutes something oh and um i can just tell you if i may about three three of the interviews yeah i want you to i mean you're gonna have to stop me because because (laughs) each of the people it just thrills me but let's see so oh i don't know if you're did your parents make you learn puff the magic dragon yes okay so the first year we gave an award to peter yarrow okay because he had had a very mm, traumatic childhood he he had a tough childhood in in terms of being rejected and made fun of and and um and you know then he became such a creative force um and the work that he does now that you know he he helps kids write songs about about hate or and anyway he's he's been a great friend and and it was an honor that he came to accept the award and then that same year, we had um, a young Palestinian American. She was a student at Webster, um, who, when she was little, a boy who she walked back to school with, back and forth to school every day. One day, after, after they reached his house, he turned around and he spit on her, and he said, "Go back to your own country." And she said, "I was born here." You know, what's that about? So she went home. And and so she went to the Middle East and she helped Palestinian children have experiences with the other side um, that they might not have had, you know, taking them to villages, doing these various things. And she's one of my heroes. Wow. Then two people who I, who, Hatebreakers is now kind of colluding with. One is um, a woman who I'd love to introduce you to named Teresa Bradley, who has an organization that she started after Michael Brown was killed called Communities in Unity. Very cool. And one of the things she did that I love is she 
got a bunch of young people at the library there to write poems about how they felt now and how the world looked to them. So Hatebreakers worked with them to, you know, get that published. And but she's she's always um, she's always working to unite communities and and to especially for teenagers. She's very very concerned with how can we help these teenagers get out of the limits that. That is a really good thought because it's it's true. Um, uh, my daughter, we, her, and I lived in Jefferson County for a long time. And, you know, I'm I'm a little bit worldly, so she got to see a lot more. Um, and it was it's amazing to her still, where she's just like, there. They just I feel like some of these kids, they're just going to grow up in that town, stay in that town, never leave that town. And, you know, she feels like it's obvious with someone that they just, because they have not gone out and had experiences with different types of people, people that don't look like them, that that's part of the problem. Because they're, then those people become the they, the they over there that are different than me and, you're, and, and they don't understand that the they is you, us, it's, there's a lot more, uh, we are a lot more alike, a lot more alike than people know. And, and, you know, in order for us to feel okay about ourselves, then the they people have to be creepy or something, you know, right, which is so for horrible. us to be okay. And, and I think there's a, there's a thing to be said for, um, I have a, a thought that, you know, whenever I meet someone, my I automatically love them. You know, I'm like, right when I'm, I'm like, I love you and let's be friends. You know, now I also say some people prove to me later that maybe we shouldn't be friends. <laughs> but my first thought is, you know, I love you. Let's, you know, you're, you're a human. I'm a human. We're here on earth together right now, having a very interesting time. Let's hang out, you know? Um, and it's, it, but I know and I feel that a, that a lot of people start with, I don't trust you. Prove yourself to me first before we can be buddies. Well, you are clearly in the right line of work. <laughs> How old is your daughter now? She's 18. Oh, perfect. Yeah, 18. And she's uh, very outspoken about, you know, when someone is saying anything that, that she feels is not... Um, what we, what other people what, what she feels that they need to hear that they need to understand, you know she'll she'll say it. And I mean, I don't want to paint Jefferson County as a terrible. I have have amazing friends from there that are very open minded and also you know worldly. It's just she's bumped up, and I think I don't care where you live or you know it, it could be just within your own school that if you haven't experienced enough of other people and please go travel somewhere outside of the United States, because I feel like that is one of the things that will really open your eyes to understand, go understand another culture. Right, right, right. You know, so I love what you're doing and I thank you, Susan, for doing it. Thank you. May I tell you about one more person? Oh my gosh, we're not done. Yes, because I still have other questions for you. Oh good, okay. I'll just tell you about this. Not that I have favorites, but Sammy Wrangle, um, based in Chicago, had the worst childhood that 
imaginable in terms of violence, in terms of predatory stuff that was done to him. He ran away from home. He, he joined um, white supremacist gangs. He was in prison for a really long time. And now he, he was a founder of and now runs an organization called Life After Hate. And they work with members of white supremacy gangs, both in and out of prison, and help them, I'm going to say detox. I don't think that's the word that he would use. Oh, I think that sounds like a good word for it, though. Yeah, and, and wow. um, he's just astonishing. And, you know, he's become, he calls me his Jewish mother. We've become really close, he and his whole family. But his journey, he actually did a TED Talk um, in Europe somewhere. He was honored by the United Nations. And oh my God. I, just a little bit of history. I think this is public. Um, about a little over four years ago, I guess near the end of the Obama administration, his organization was awarded a large grant to work against violent extremism. That's what he was um, awarded by the UN. But wait. But then when the new president came in, his administration decided that they only wanted to work against, um, what's the word? Muslim um, violent extremism. Um, so they took, you know, this administration didn't honor that grant. Now, four years later, he was given the award again because I think it's become obvious that that work needs to be done and needs. To- it does need to be done. I mean, oh, and I, I'm an optimist. I mean, I, I really hope that we, I hope that we get to a more loving place in everything that we do uh, as people. And I, I. It's one of the reasons why I do TEDx is I feel like it it is all about evolving, <laughs> which is really important to me. Like, how about we evolve? That would be a good idea, you know. Um, so I have this other question for you because I mean, the, I this is just so interesting that you were an an editor for Playboy. I was Holy. the I was the nonfiction editor. Okay, and, and as I always insist and everybody find no that the girly stuff was done in Chicago and LA and I was their New York person. Gotcha. So okay. it was the best job because I got to call up anybody that interested me, you know, always still being a fame freak, um, and say, Would you write for us? May we interview you? Um do you, if you have a book coming out could we excerpt that book? And I always, sort of the way I do, well, never mind about that. I, I understood both sides of the argument. That Playboy humiliated women and made bad, men do bad things to women, but also um, as 
some of the posers, some of the playmates that said, you know, this is a way for me to show who I am, to show myself, to be free and to make some good money. So um, my feminist friends didn't always see it the way I saw it, but they knew I was having a great time. And even my husband, my late husband said, you're going to last here six months. You know, this is so not you. But I just thought it would be a great way to bring my sensibility, you know, to to the magazine. And, and I did, I got to be on the, was asked to be on the um, Playboy Foundation board. And, and um, it was a great experience for me. And I, awesome. yeah, yeah. And I was, I was their liaison with the publishing world and with writers and with personalities. It was so cool. You know, that time when everything was in Hugh? person. Did you like know Hugh? I, I really didn't. I was friends with Christy, his daughter, but, but, okay. um, Hef, as we had, everyone had to call him. I'd met him, but I, I just wasn't, I mean, I don't think that we, had a lot to say to each other. He, I mean, he 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 was smart, and he's the guy that that figured out that you could have um, sort of combined sexual liberation with high end writing and thinking. Right. And right. And it it worked for a while. It really worked nicely. How interesting. Yeah, it was it was fun, and it was fun to be a little out of the box. You know, I was, when I'd go to meetings, it would, well, she's from New York and well, she's, you know, Gloria Steinem. But, but I would say, you know, his theory that liberation is um, not limited to just one avenue. It worked for a while. Right. It, right. And and I was it was great for me to have a chance to do it. Then I then I started my own business and I was a, a liaison um between um publishers and magazines. And then and then I started working for this thing called the internet. I don't even know if it was called the internet yet, but you know, to try to try to help people do digital work. Yeah, well it, you help them to pivot from print to and that's so amazing you're at the forefront of some cool stuff ma'am <laughs> you know you hear so, me, you call me ma'am and for and my stomach tightens and then I have to oh, think no 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 then name? I have no I know it's a respect <laughs> thing I know I get it I get it <laughs> but I think I'm almost old that's how I think of myself I'm almost old Get used to it, Susie. You know, you're lucky. You know, we, your parents we, didn't get to have golden years. You have, you know, it's this pandemic thing. You get to live in a great house with somebody you're really nuts about. And I think about people out there who are stuck, who don't have enough food, who don't even yeah. have a house, and are stuck with somebody that they're not fond of. It's a weird thing because um, we, I was talking about this the other day. A friend of mine was like, that I'd, hadn't heard from in a while. We caught up with each other and she's like, how are you anyway? And, and we were both like, you know, I mean, if there wasn't a pandemic and all this crazy stuff going on in the world, I would say I'm doing great, you know, but it, it's, it's also hard to say I'm doing great when there's a pandemic and all this crazy stuff going on in the world, you know? And so um, it's very interesting. I feel like I'm kind of in my own little bubble. But look at what you've created. Look at this bubble that you've created. It's, it's perfect. 
Yeah, it's a happy bubble. I'm not going to say we're the same person, but but I mean, you've done what I I, I just admire your your figuring it out. Look at you're sitting there in your own private space. I'm sitting in my mind's a little more cluttered than yours. What can I tell you? <laughs> you were, a, I, I said in the beginning, you're a well-read woman. Look at all those books. <laughs> right. And I don't know anybody else that I can, you know, have the same rapport in being fascinated with people I've never met, you know, as you are. Right. Oh, I, well, yeah, we love it. I mean, I'm like you. I'm kind of a fame freak as, as well. I get really like caught up with certain famous people and have to watch all the things that they've done. And I find them so fascinating. And like who, who are you into like now? Who, who are your, the ones you're caught up with now? Well, in fact, last night, my daughter and I were talking about, I was like, gosh, if Nicole Kidman is, is in something, I'll watch it. Like, I just think she's amazing. So I will definitely watch it. And then we are also really into... Anything, let's see. Well, there's this there's this uh, show on HBO called Lovecraft Country, which is fascinating. Is it? I haven't watched that one. Fascinating. Now, I th- and I, I don't know exactly. I, it's by the same producers as the uh, movies that Jordan Peele did. One was called Get Out and one was called Us. But Jordan Peele is another one that I'm just fascinated with Jordan Peele. So I, if, like, if he's doing anything, I have to know about it. Um, how about you? I mean, who, who are you a fame freak for right now? Right now, I'm interested in Sasha Baron Cohen because he never <gasps> does the same thing twice. And I just saw he was on Stephen Colbert it. thing did last. You, did you watch the latest one, the latest movie? Yeah. yeah. Well, I watched half of the latest. I watched the, oh, I the Chicago, yeah, you know, seven one. Um, that was a good one. Which was a good one. And I watched part of Borat. This, you know, what is the the new movie, the whatever he calls movie it, film. subsequent movie, yeah. Um, and I just I'll watch the rest of it tonight, probably. But it's, he he's interesting be- wow. because he claims that he didn't want to be famous, and that there was a, there was a great profile of him in the in the New York Times Magazine recently, which of course I only read digitally now. But um, he's he's a many faceted man. And a many-faceted actor. So let's see, I'm interested in him right now. Um, we just finished watching um, Designated Survivor. Did you? With, with Kiefer Sutherland, who never interested me before. But it's, it's like, this, it's like for me, because I didn't watch it when it was in real time, um, it's like today's West Wing. Um, it's, you know, okay. it's... it's that's all I'll say. And so he, I just thought, oh, he's one of those cute boys. But now that's what you say when you're almost old. Um, but he became the producer and the director, I think, as well as the star. And, you know, it's it's about this guy who was fairly low on the totem pole, who was the only one who survived this horrible bombing of, and, um, you know, like everything else, you have to give the, the writers a couple episodes to... Yeah, you can't just expect to get into it right away. You got to give it time. Yeah. So now I'm going to forget later what I wanted to say. Oh, I don't know. I love this thing, Vera. And Vera. now... I'm going to have to start taking notes so I know what to be watching right now. Um, but there's one that's on Hulu about a woman... I'm going to say your age, 
who finds herself, you know, she always got all A's and did everything finer, but she's got this job. She wanted to get into publishing and she has to go get coffee for people. And she realizes that she made a lot of mistakes in her life. And so this sort of, I don't know if he's a phantom or not, but this combination guru and therapist enters her life in all different forms. Sometimes he's a hot dog vendor. Sometimes he's, and he arranges for her to have do-overs. Oh my gosh, cool. In, you know, in high school and, and so on. And I think it's such a, you know, the, the writer in me thinks, oh, I wish I'd thought about that premise. It's such a good premise. No um, kidding. And I can't think of what the name Vera. of it is. That one's called Vera. On no, no, no. Vera is about, pardon me while I do this because, because I have to be able to tell you. But anyway, yeah, I I'm sorry. Know. I'm allowed to, I'm almost old, so I'm allowed to forget things. You are allowed to forget. <laughs> I'm. I forget many times, and I'm almost old, old too. So there You're you go. Almost, almost, almost. Yeah. Susan, I thank you. This has just been. I love this. Our conversation. It was a great conversation. I agree. I think I'm going to have to come over and hang out with you. I want you to. Definitely. We have like the same. <laughs> Why did we, we have, have to the meet same place the day that it got cold? You know, oh, so we I can't know. just meet out on our deck. But it was good. We were supposed to meet at some point, right? Yes, I totally I agree. I and love it. I'm grateful to Josh for bringing us together. Thank you, Josh Lovey. Yes, I was so excited. I was like, oh, I know Susan. I can introduce you. I'm like, yay. I really want her on my podcast. Thank you. So fascinating. Stan, if you want, want to meet any of the other women of women, achievement. Women, I do. Of we will, you and I will be in contact to talk about that and more. My new best friend. Thank I love you. It. Thank you, Susan Bach. Thank you so much. Have a fabulous time. Everybody do check out Hate Breakers. And for all of you out there, you've been listening to Mishmash Podcast. We love you. Have awesome days. Bye. Bye.